ultra Tuscan orange grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. Another year, another season of Fan Zone. Uh, here we are. It's debate time. Uh, another season has passed. We're here at the end. Uh, lots of crazy shit happened this year. We had a tournament uh, with 16 people. That was a little bit wild. Uh, the belt exchanged hands. Um, Nazario is here now with a manager, which makes no sense to me. Uh, but it is what it is. We're here for the final uh, event, the final act. We've got Kirk Kolkowski, the current champion, winning the belt from Jacoby Bancroft earlier this year, um, is going up against Nazario Montenegro. Uh, very exciting stuff. Cody, you are here. How are you feeling about Kirk versus Nazario? Uh, Kirk versus Nazario is probably the most unprepared versus prepared fight that we'll see all year long, and that's probably exactly how both players want it, um, because uh, Nazario will make Kirk think of things that he never thought of before, and uh, Nazario will probably call Kirk a nerd at some point down the line, but this season's been really great. Um, Kirk emerged out of that tournament. I knew when he lost early the previous year um, where he was going to go. And he made it clear against Jacoby, which I thought Jacoby beat you. So I thought Jacoby was going to have the belt for a long time. And then Kirk actually, you know, and then Kirk just knows some shit that a lot of people don't like, or a lot of people don't know as well. So he's able to attack those certain things. So we'll see how much Nazario prepped. We'll see how this title goes. But um, if Nazario comes in with some, knowledge on the subject this should be close yeah absolutely uh brooklyn you're also here as the third judge thank you for being here tonight brooklyn uh what do you think about the uh matchup kirk versus or uh yeah kirk versus nazario uh this year it's really good nazario has been kind of a gatekeeper of debate in general um has always been like his like record doesn't uh doesn't reflect his performance overall. I know he's had a couple of like huge losses in, in his career. Um, but yeah, uh, and then I think Cody's kind of headed on the head. Kirk is a prepared motherfucker. Um, and, and and these and these guys especially will conflict back and forth because I know Nazario is also like Coho and likes to get under people's skin and is pretty good at doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's start by bringing in the challenger and his manager, uh, Nazario and Mike. Uh, Nazario, why did you once again bring a manager to a debate match? We don't have those here. Uh, but are this is this is I think if I'm not mistaken, your first multiplex title shot. Um, how are you feeling about the match? He's gonna lose. I am probably gonna lose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but hey, he, you got Brooklyn who called him, you the gatekeeper, I and he called him, Kirk he a motherfucker. Real. So you got one judge on your side. It's good times. The man, the man keeps it real, and I respect him for it. Every time I assume I might have to win or I have a shot, he's like, "Fuck you, you suck." <laughs> Brings me down. I need that. I need to be level to lose. I also sent all three of these guys fifty dollars each to make sure that they vote against you. Well, the American that, or Canadian? That, that's a fact. Canadian for you. Okay, well, a lot so more money for you. All right. Uh, 
Well, that sounds like a good stopping point. Let's bring in Kirk, uh, the current champion, Kirk. Uh, you won the title at Mayhem at the Multiplex earlier this year against Jacoby in one of uh, my favorite matches we have ever produced here at FanZone or Nerdgasm or whatever. It was one of my favorites. Um, you sent Jacoby a book because of it. Kirk, uh, you're not playing Nazario. How do you feel about this? Do we have any John Cazelle questions tonight? Uh, we do not. Okay. Um, no, I felt great about playing Azario. Well, I mean, a couple of different ways. Like, I feel great in that, like, it's going to be a good match. It's going to be competitive. I feel bad because, like, I just want to go for it. Oh, get out of here. Go to bed early. Nazario's probably not going to let me do that because he's a guy who knows how to talk. He's smart. And he has that combination of knowledge and ability to BS. And that's always scary. Um, you know, he definitely earned his way here. He beat some pretty tough competitors. Um, so, yeah, I'm not at all taking him lightly. Uh, Mike has completely jinxed me by saying that Nazario is going to lose. I know that's the psychological factor he's played here i'm not falling for it uh but yeah i uh should be a good match all right well uh we're gonna get right into it this is how the show is gonna work uh, this is a title match so there are five prepped questions that the players have gotten ready for um in the world of warzone and fandom each question they are going to get a one minute opening followed by a five minute freeform debate followed by a one minute closing the first player to four tonight will be the winner. Uh, if we make it through all five prep questions and we don't have a winner yet, uh, we will move on to a bonus round. We'll explain the rules for that when we get there. So, uh, gentlemen, are there any questions as we get into the match? No. no. All right. Well, then let's fight. Please submit your scenes of new fights for me to put into this uh, little section next year. Uh, okay, so, uh, gentlemen, we are going to get kicked off right away with your first question. It is in the category of directors. Your question is, what is the best performance in a John Cassavetes film? Uh, so, Kirk, you draft this category. You're going to get to go first. You have one minute to start your argument. When you start talking, I will come in and give you a 10-second warning when the time comes. Uh, when you talk about John Cassavetes, it's appropriate to, uh, and the greatest performance in one of his movies, performance, uh, it's appropriate to talk about his wife, his muse, uh, the great Gina Rollins, uh, and I chose her performance in the film Gloria. Uh, this is a film where she uh, just creates an amazing character uh, with an amazing arc, maybe the strongest character in any Cassavetes film, but it's such a strong performance uh, where she is very much on her own throughout the movie. She's really the only adult uh, main character uh, in it, She's uh, and she's playing off herself and a child for most of the time, uh, but it's just a very subtle, nuanced performance uh, where she gives you so much, she takes that character so many different places, and she expresses, you know, so much emotion, uh, so much change, so much growth as a person. You see that uh, through her performance. Uh, so I definitely think this is the uh, best performance that John Cassavetti has ever directed. Uh, Gina Rollins, Gloria. Time. All right, we'll move on. To... Sorry, <laughs> we'll get a one-minute opening when he starts talking. <clears throat> 
I agree that Gina Rollins is great when directed by John Cassavetes, but I think the right movie for this is A Woman Under the Influence, uh, a movie where she performs uh, a person that is outside of the spectrum of normalcy that we have come to know mentally. She is definitely and not uh, a kid in, in her mind. She's an adult, but she has what flights of flimsy, of whimsy. She is a person that cannot center. She's a person that cannot concentrate on one thing. She just wants to feel happy. And she doesn't really understand how to manage the emotions to make her happy. So she does whatever she feels like. Sometimes things that she's not supposed to. It's a very layered performance. It shows her at her most vulnerable with her family, who also is it's Peter Falk is great. It's a blue collar family that cannot really are not mentally equipped to deal with a person in the spectrum and how she portrays the time she has to deal with them and the time she gets to herself is real. All right. All right. Five minute freeform. When one of you starts talking, do not speak over each other or I will come and beat you with a stick. Have fun. I think it's very subtle, the thing she does in the movie, A Woman Under the Influence, because she has to be both a mother that shows that she loves her children, but sometimes when the kids overwhelm her, she cannot manage them mentally, and she has to find a way to act like she's letting them know she loves them, but she needs a break. There's a scene when she returns from the mental institute where she has to tell her kids that she cannot hug him right now. That is heartbreaking. This has levels of a different layers of performance and it's amazing see i disagree with you i think there's a, a, a very severe lack of uh subtly in her performance a lack of layers um you said yourself the character does whatever she wants and that makes for a very easy performance i mean if you look at this it's really what she's doing is she's just taking every page out of the mental illness performance 101 playbook um you know she's she, she does the childlike stuff she makes the noises and the gestures um it's a very easy performance um and you know it, now when you talk about layers like my performance she is she there's my character has a very strong arc she goes from being very uh, very much a uh, independent woman who doesn't want to be bothered doesn't want to be bogged down doesn't care about anybody else to you know slowly you know falling in love with this child and you know protecting this child and you see that through all that there's no it's not a big showy performance uh but it definitely you see the emotion you see the change in the scene where she has to face go up against the gangsters where she's at first prepared to leave this kid alone and basically leave him to the whoever and then she realizes no i have to take care of him and she stands up to these people um there's a lot of scenes like that throughout this movie where she's slowly learning and only somebody like gina rollins is going to get that give you that subtlety of that change okay. that you don't get in this movie saying that it's a show easy performance that's just nonsense she has a deep connection to this character and she's not doing whatever she wants at all times she's trying to be a mother she's trying to hold her family together she just doesn't have the mental capacity to be the adult that they expect her to be in a 1970s film she has this thing where she prepares a birthday party that she all the kids love her she's doing that with them whatever they want and even if like they want to get like changing clothes and and get dressed up another adult who it's on a different level mentally, it's like, wow, why are the kids naked? Because he misinterprets the movie. Doesn't mean that she's not doing something that they are enjoying or something very innocent because that's where her mind took her. But she's also showing that uh, she can play with the kids at the same time that she can deal with her husband, who's a blue collar man that just doesn't understand her. Your performance is actually very normal. I mean, you say it's subtle. I think it's easy. 
because she doesn't really have to deal with anything outside the norm. Movies where women have been involved with the mob before and they have to find life out of it, married to the mob. Michelle Pfeiffer, great shit. Did it better than Jenna Rollins in this one. Oh and having to deal with a kid. Go. I'll keep on I know. I was going to say, um, you're talking about the story and the character. Those are all interesting. But her performance doesn't really add anything to that. Her performance is very much, oh, I'm crazy. Look at me. I'm talking like a kid. I'm making noises. <laughs> That's literally her whole performance. You keep talking about... Um, how she interacts with these other characters. I really think, notice in your opening, you talked about Peter Folk. You talked about other uh, other cast members. Peter Folk is really the MVP of these movies. He's doing the heavy lifting. Uh, Peter Folk is the one, if you watch her alone and with these kids, you the, the, the her, her performance borderlines on comic. It's not until you see Peter Folk and his reaction and him dealing with this woman he loves and remembering who she was and mourning what she's become because she's no longer the person he falls in love with, but still loving her and the weight of that that is that's that's the strong performance this movie he's he's doing all the work if you want to talk about carrying a movie the kid phil is the one that carries the movie gloria because he's the one that has doesn't want to be with her he's the one yeah. that doesn't want to be with that woman that he just happened to be there for because his family's dead and she has one to take minute. him that she has to take him to keep him alive and he doesn't understand at the beginning he wants to be all suave and portray like he's a cool guy yeah you're gonna be with me because i'm hot and stuff no it's just a kid yeah, exactly. It's just a kid. You ask any professional actor, well, the hardest thing to do is work with a kid. And that's what she's doing this entire movie. She is the only adult in this movie, and she's playing off this shout. And yeah, he, his performance is good because she brings that out of him. And it's the the the, 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 uh, the connection they have with each other is is what makes his performance solid. But he is definitely not the star of the movie. It's her nah, doing all the work, convenient. doing all the heavy well, When her performance is good, it's because she's, the kid is good. It's she's taken out of him. Oh, but when uh, Peter Falk is good, it's because he's carrying her. That, that that doesn't make any sense. You're just taking whatever you feel like doing. You want to see somebody dealing with a kid and that is a completely weird kid and they have to like learn to adjust to them? Rose Byrne in Instant Family is great. thousand times better than Gene Rollins in Glory. You keep bringing up these other movies. You're not talking about how they're better than mine, though. Time. I'm saying they're better. I'm saying they're better. Strike it from the record. Uh, Nazario, we will start with you. You have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. He picked a very basic performance of a woman who has to deal with a kid. Other movies have done movies where an adult deals with a kid for the whole movie. It doesn't mean that they're great actors. She is barely good in this one. She has to deal with the mob. She has to run away with a kid, interact with the kid. It's fine. There's no highs. There's no low. It's all even cute. My performance is layered. She does act like an adult sometimes. When she shows that mental spark of the woman that she used to be, the woman that Peter Falk thought he married, but then he trying to fit in this box, which is made by society and made by her husband and made by the expectations of everybody. And she just doesn't. A person with her deficiencies mentally in this day and age would probably be treated different and probably have a better quality of life. She has to deal with that. She has to face the difficulties of trying to, to be true to her mental state and at the same time being a good woman. And she shows it. She shows it in her, uh, throughout her whole performance. It's very different levels. Okay. Kirk, we will move on to you for your closing. You have one minute when you start talking.
talking about Gina Rollins and her famous uh, critique of a woman under the influence, Pauline Kills made the statement, she does nothing memorable because she does so much. And it's exactly what happens in this role. She's doing so much and it's so much just you know, making noises and doing silly things uh, that there's really nothing memorable about that. He says that other movies have done women dealing with mob. Other movies have done mental illness and so many people have done it better than this. She is not good in this. She goes full mentally ill, if you know what I'm saying. She does not bring any layers of nuance that he's talking about. My performance, you call it basic because it's not showy, it's not flashy. Everything you have to see is very contained, and you have to do it working with little. Just because you're doing going crazy and doing a lot of things in your performance doesn't make it good. Tommy Wiseau does a lot of things in the room. That doesn't make it a good performance. Uh, my performance is textured and layered. Uh, it is about a strong relationship. She carries the movie on her own. She is not relying on anybody else like she does in my movie. She relies fully on Peter Folk. Uh, and in my movie, she is carrying it, and she does a great job with her character. Time. Okay. <clears throat> Bring in L judges. As we uh, wrap this I one up. I prefer law judges, but I'm more of a French bastard anyways. That's fair. The big boy of Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. Some call this a buffal. Some consider that an overcompensation. Oh yeah. Well, all right. Well, uh, I I hate that I go first on these all the time. Can I go? No, oh, it'll mess first. up the whole show. Really? Yes, it will. Um, this was really good. I thought that we we were polite. We went back and forth evenly. We gave up time. Good job, gentlemen. Uh, Jacoby's always screaming. Robert's yelling all over the place. Coho can't keep his mouth shut. You two were very respectful. Good job. Um, I'm going with Kirk. I thought Nazario actually had me on this for a while, but I thought Kirk's closing was really strong, where he uh, really drove home the point to me about how in Nazario's movie, there's just too much going on. And it almost borderlines on parody at a point. Um, I, I th that really worked for me, um, and in the end, won the point for me. So I, I'm going with Kirk. Uh, Cody, where are you going? Oh, traditions. I love traditions. <laughs> it's it's always the first. We usually agree, and except on the first question. Um, so. I believe the tone was set in this match, and things will have to be adjusted moving forward if this man comes as prepared as he was. My vote's for Nazario. I think Nazario put this in a driving seat, uh, um, and how he was able to just basically combat. And I think one of the strongest moments was he's like working with a child. So you just pick and choose where you're coming from. He basically threw it back. I agree that the using of other movies was not the strongest argument, but I, th I'm opposite. I think Kirk's closing was more of out of frustration Kirk than actually of like precise where he normally is. So we'll see how the rest of the right, but I went with Zarya. I think he handled that debate really well. All right, Brooklyn, where are you going? Surprise, surprise. I disagree with Cody. Uh, I gave this one to Kirk as well. Uh, it was like, I think it was probably like three and a half minutes into free form. Kirk just kind of kicked it into second gear um, and got Nazario to go off on a bit of a tangent. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of agree with Cody in that like some of, some of the movies don't, or some of the movies didn't really help, didn't really help as much as I think Nazario wanted, wanted them to, uh, but it was, it was super close. All right. So uh, Kirk will win the first point. Uh, this is the time of the show where I got to say, uh, uh, go out to your local store, buy Dots 
homestyle pretzels. Uh, these are the Southwest seasoned uh, flavor, and they're really kicking my ass right now in the middle of this match. So, is that a uh, regional thing? Uh, it might be. Uh, we don't but have they, dots in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they it's are definitely. They are. They are sponsoring this video. Thank you um, for sponsoring this video. Uh, oh wait. I'm hearing from the back that only Captain Morgan sponsored. No, okay, okay. Uh, we're gonna move on to the next question, which is going to be in the category of Disney. This is uh, drafted by Mr. Nazario. The question: What Disney live-action movie would be better if it was animated? Uh, so, Nazario, we're gonna start with you on this one. You have one okay. minute to open your argument. <laughs> When you start talking, I think the mo the movie that get the most out of changing to animation is the Haunted Match, the one that they did in the early two thousands, because the kind this kind of movie, like uh, the children directed haunting spirits movies, work best when they're animated. CGI doesn't age that well unless it's really good, and two thousand CGI is not. The best at anything close to being the good the, there were a couple of movies in this period when they released the corpse right they did uh paranorm and they did uh Coraline a little later uh where they showed you that stop animation is probably the best for this because it has a haunting effect that can bring the ghost to life and can bring that memorable experience of things that shouldn't be moving but eerily move and i feel the haunted mansion would be really uh improved by that especially visually because uh, the story is pretty basic, but you have you can make the movie memorable because of the visuals. Time. All right. Let's see. Second and two matches. We've had the Haunted Mansion come up. That's scary. Uh, Kirk, no pun intended. Uh, Kirk, one minute when you start talking. When you talk about movies that should be remade in any sort sort of way, you want to talk. You want to come up with a movie that had potential, had people excited, but was ultimately a giant disappointment. Uh, that's why I picked Tomorrowland as the movie that would best be uh, remade as a uh, animated movie. Uh, I think this would be a great Pixar movie. I think it has the all the pits, uh, the. Uh, the Pixar elements. It has wonder. It has a message. It has amazing world building. Uh, but a lot of the uh, performances, a lot of the visuals just fell flat and didn't connect with anybody. Uh, so I really think this is a movie that if you just tweak it a little bit, make it animated, take all those things and turn it into Pixar animation, it's going to be great. And you already have uh, one of the great, the great Pixar uh, director, Brad Bird, on board. Uh, so this is something that very naturally fits a lot of the characters, a lot of the situations feel when you're watching it like this should be a Pixar movie. Uh, so I definitely think uh, it would be greatly improved doing that. I can see my time. All right. So two movies that suck, The Haunted Mansion and Tomorrowland going up against each other. Gentlemen, you have five minutes of free form when one of you starts talking. The biggest so the problem, problem with Tomorrowland is not the visuals. The problem with Tomorrowland is that the movie is boring and it had a bad script. It's trying to sell elevated sci-fi to kids with no thought how to appeal to them, except a couple of little showy rockets here and there. The movie is basically about it, all the big minds of the 20th century making a pocket dimension when they can be brilliant. And one of them discovers that the world is ending. And they tell the people and they say, eh, let it end. How does animation make that better? You you tweak that story. You make it a little less. Uh, you make it a little less uh, 
focus on the message. You 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 bring it down to a kid's level, and you add the wonder of the animation. You expand that world. That was a problem. You didn't have a lot of tomorrow Tomorrowland. You make it animated. You put more Tomorrowland in it with that animation. It's great. The problem with Haunted Mansion and making Haunted Mansion, the appeal of Haunted Mansion is seeing all the stuff from that ride in live action. Seeing the the woman in the uh, crystal ball. Seeing the hitchhikers. Seeing the singing head. Seeing the uh, the ballroom. You make that anime, you take that away. That's the fun of that movie. It's like, oh, that's all the stuff from the ride and live action in a movie. You change it to animated, it becomes something completely different and you lose that charm. Of course not, because I'm saying you stop animation, like all the movies that I listed in my intro. If you do it a stop animation, you can make physical maquettes that are exactly copies of those, similar to what they did in the Muppets Haunted Mansion show that they aired on Disney Plus recently, where they mixed puppeteering with the effects. And it was entertaining so as well. So, so what you're saying is make it just like live action so what's the point of making it animated if it looks no, like it's just live action i'm saying that the stop animation is timeless it has the magic the magical effect it's like when you see king kong moving for the first time in the 30s film it, it's eerie it's not live action it's animated but it, it's kind of a that in-between thing that gets you your eye your, your movie you're basically it's like i said selling sci-fi on the high level to kids and it's not like a small tweak or anything we're talking about changing the movie just to animation you cannot change the whole script you still have to work with the bones you have, and your bones are bad bones. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Your your movie, your movie does not have a great story. Your movie does not have a great script. Your movie is not that interesting. Um, so going animate, you're not going to fix any of that. Yeah. We're, you're you're talking about just fixing the visuals too. Let me talk about some other uh, real world, real uh, real life stuff that you have in your movie. A uh, really good physical comedic performance from Eddie Murphy. You have a really great physical pre presence in the visual, uh, the uh, the villain with Terrence Stamp. You go animated with that, you're going to lose that. That's that's two very charming things of that movie. Two things that make that movie watchable are Eddie Murphy and Terrence Stamp. You take them out, you only put their voices in. You're losing that physicality they have that bring to the movie, and that's going to uh, be lower your movie, make it worse. If you think about late '90s, early 2000s Eddie Murphy, you have voice acting you have mushu from mulan you have the donkey from trek he can sell you in the voice acting arguably better than live action i'm not and saying i'm not saying he's a bad voice work. actor but you look at mushu you look at donkey they're animals they're creatures they're comic relief they're not carrying the movie they're not the main character in this movie you have eddie murphy as a you human playing that they ha there's no evidence that Eddie Murphy cannot do that there is a lot of evidence that he cannot carry a family movie in live action in the early 2000s what he, I'm saying he, also about the animation. Good, his performance is one of the great things in this movie. He's a, it's a solid performance. He's funny. He's entertaining. He brings no, the, the weight of being the family man, of caring about his wife and kids, but also the, the, the comedy aspect uh, that you're going to lose if you go to voice acting. Again, same with Terrence Stamp. Terrence Stamp, you don't no, want just wait to now me about trying to sell me that he's a good performance in The Haunted Mansion. This movie is shit. The script is bad, I'm saying. Just like Tomorrowland is a very bad script. Okay, so we just, okay. When you make the visuals better, you make them more appealing, there yeah. is a lot more connection to the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland. It's a, it's a thrive that has lasted for generations and people yeah, love. Because, and, 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 and people want to see that in live action. Mountain, don't you, don't have you don't want to see stop motion. You want to see that real. You want to see the woman with it actually floating around the head. You want to see the guys singing. You want to see the hitchhikers. You don't and want you to get all that. You want to see. No, you don't because you're taking it away. You're making you it that, but a little bit less. Plus, you name three or four movies that already do what your movie does. If I want to see that, I'll watch Paranorman. I'll watch Caroline. I'll watch The Corpse Right. I don't need that with Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion is its own separate thing. Um, 
also, my movie, again, you're talking about proven visuals. The, the problem with Tomorrowland is you don't get enough Tomorrowland, and when you do it, the visuals are boring, they're flat, they're stale. The, the visual Tomorrowland, the Toy Store, the Eiffel Tower, you make all that animated. At least you have those moments where like, oh, wow, look at the wonder, look how great these are, look at that animation. Instead of having that boring, flat, mid-2000s generic CGI, you get excellent, solid uh, CGI Pixar animation that explores that world and makes it so much better. And you still have that boring ass story that the no same one as cares yours. For. You you have your boring no story is just as boring. Time. All right, Kirk, you get one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Tomorrowland is the worst of these two movies. It's the bigger letdown of these two movies. And it's because mostly of you have flat visuals uh, that you can improve in uh, by animating the Pixar animation. Uh, you can improve the, the, the characters. The characters are flat and boring. These are perfect. They're boring live action, but these are perfect. These characters look like they're designed to be Pixar characters. Uh, Young Frank is a perfect Pixar kid. Um, Haunted Mansion, you have live action uh, Disney ride. Like I said, Nazario mentioned three or four movies. Always does who does. I don't need to see that again. I want to see something new. I want to see fresh. I'm going to see. I want to see the ride in live action. Um, Tomorrowland. You could tweak it a little bit, make the story a little more focused for kids. Add add that great animation. Like I said, you have Brad Bird, who is a much better animation director than a uh, than a live action director. You have you have him go to work on it. You tweak it just enough, and you have a fantastic movie. Haunted Mansion. You want that live action. You want that live action appeal of the ride. And you want Terrence Stamp, you want Eddie Murphy. Time. All right. Move over to Nazario for his closing. You have one minute when you start talking. Both movies have shit scripts. We're, we're done there. Like, we, we're okay. When you do stop animation in the Haunted Mansion, you can bring those things to life with that eerie effect from the Haunted Mansion. I'm not saying you're going to see similar things in the movies I listed. Those are movies that appeal to the horror element in the family films. That's the only thing that's similar. I'm just saying it as basis that it can be done in my in the movie. You have a strong connection of people who want to see the Haunted Mansions. They want to see the Gracies. They want to see the floating head. They want to see the, the hitchhiking ghost. It's been there since the 50s. Everybody loves them. When you said Tomorrowland, you couldn't even point out things that are actually from Tomorrowland. You said, like, oh, you see the Eiffel Tower. Huh? And if you do it in animation, what are you going to add? The Space Mountain? That's not even in the movie. The thing is that, in the end, my movie improves the connection to viewers with the special effects. Yours cannot improve. And in the end, you're going to appeal to the kids to that Disney connection that they have with this classic ride instead of just generalities about Tomorrowland and a bunch of people that Time. don't care about it. Care about it. I didn't hear the end of Aftercare, but that struck that from the record. Uh, all right. Oh, Lord. All right. We are gonna <laughs> something is a child just knocks it or a wife or something. I don't know. Maggie's in bed, so she doesn't bother me. Um you're good, Cody. No. You have your answer written. Can I go to Brooklyn? No. Okay. I'll just get mine. Is it me first? Yes. No, it's not. But 
Well, then what do you... What, yeah, then go to Brooklyn, I guess. Okay, so yes, okay, so Brooklyn, go first. All right, uh, so I went with, with, with Azario. Uh He had a pretty good grip on uh, on this fight. Um, I think it came down overall to how they presented how they presented uh, like how animation will help. Um, I felt like Kurt, Kurt kind of gave uh, moments whereas with Nazario was like here's the overall like arc of this, but I understand that there are two other judges. So. I'll go next. I went with Kirk. I thought that Kirk um, while he didn't really like I thought this was a classic example of making someone fight your fight. Kirk said, gave me a clear thing of what his movie was going to be and how it would work. And then just, in my opinion, pissed Nazario off and even said things like Nazario at one point said, you're going to, with using stop motion, it can look very, very real. And Kirk's barb about, then why make it animated if it can just be live action if you want to make it real? I thought that worked really well, and I don't think Nazar for, to me Nazario never recovered from that. But I, I'm clearly wrong. Uh, Cody, uh, go ahead. Um, I'm just going to preference this, Kirk. I still want you to help me with YLS. Um, uh, worst I went poker the face of the world. What? You have the worst poker face in the world. <laughs> well, Nazario, because I think it's the opposite, and especially in Nazario's closing. Was like, what the hell are you talking about? You weren't even talking about like things that are part of the like. He basically just pointed out line, telling yeah, me that's what is in the movie. You can fact check that. Okay, well, just just relax. Um, <laughs> but my thing is overall, where he was saying like he was trying to sell him like the physical presence of. Eddie Murphy, and like that's what was working in that movie. And then Lazario just came back down to earth, like, let's stop lying to ourselves and say this is a good movie, these are good performances. And then basically said, All the he listed all the animation stuff that he's really good at in the 2000s, and basically said, I'll tell you one thing that he's not good at, and that's being live action in an adult thing. So I thought that worked really well to counterpoint his argument. I think it was a lot closer than what it what made it seem like, but I thought Nazario carried it all the way through. All right, fair enough. That is why there are three of us. Okay, uh, we are going to move on to the third question. This was drafted by Kirk. I believe it is in the category of classics. It is, what is the most iconic scene in a Kurosawa movie? So, Kirk, you drafted this. You get to go first. You have one minute when you start talking. Uh, so many classic Kurosawa iconic moments some so many characters so many movies um i went with the i think the the most uh hit probably his most iconic character uh in uh one of his most iconic movies i took the uh the showdown the final showdown scene from yojimbo um it's the like i said it's it's a character uh that people know uh, even you know uh who don't maybe have a great uh, grasp on Kurosawa. uh it's a scene that's been so influential even if you haven't seen it you've you've uh you've seen the impact of it and you know it. So when you look at it, you recognize it. There's a very visceral reaction to it. Um, I think it's iconic visually. It's been studied. It's uh, uh, it is a, it is a scene that uh, just grasps so much of what Carousel does from a filmmaking process from character to composition, uh, to music, to score, to sound effects. Even uh, it is definitely uh, the most iconic scene uh, out of a lot of great scenes. The most iconic was we're talking about in his uh, filmography. Okay. Let's see what Nazario has for us. There it is. Nazario, you have one minute when you start talking to open your argument. When you say iconic, what I think of is something that has, I have a visceral reaction to. 
something that sticks with you and you, you can recognize at any moment. And there's nothing more impactful to me in the Kurosawa movies than what is when he gets betrayed by the, his own archers at the end of Throne of Blood. The scene where they decide that, okay, we're done fighting with you, you have to die. And they just flip on him and start throwing arrows at him. It's, it's insane. It's animalistic. You can you see the amount of arrows that just fly through him, and he trying to just escape from it. the The way this film was the was filmed, the scene they actually threw arrows at him, because that's what Kurosawa wanted to to impact. So you can see that fear in his face. Like, Wachizu just transcends the the character just transcends into real emotional raw human fear, and it it sears you. Like the whole scene is so impactful and so memorable. This amazing time. All right, five minute free form when one of you starts talking. Nazario, you said a lot of great things about your scene, and I agree. It's a fantastic scene from a fantastic movie, and I feel confident saying that because nothing, nothing what you said makes that scene iconic. It's very cool. It's very well done. It's cool that they shot real arrows. It's a fun scene, but it's not iconic to Kurosawa's filmography. When I start, when I, I never even knew this movie existed until I really started deep diving Kurosawa. I always knew Yojimbo. I, I didn't know much about the movie or the character, but I knew that I knew the generalities of it. I knew that scene because of how iconic it is and how uh, influential it is, and how it's just it's it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. You see, you watch. They show clips of great movies, and you always see that scene included uh, because of how it is. Your scene is fantastic. But it's not, and it's memorable, but it's not iconic. It's not something, it's not going to be on a t-shirt. It's not going to be, it's not something that's going to be a... Is your uh, scene going to be on a t-shirt? What's that? Is your oh, scene uh, on a t-shirt? Absolutely, yeah. My scene, my scene's there. My, my scene is the Kurosawa scene. It's you, you, that one moment you see it. It is a, it's a very, very strong Kurosawa uh, moment. Um, but there is, but your scene is just not, it's not that. It's, it's, it's not something that people go to when they think Kurosawa, like, oh yeah, that scene is... It's it's something great, but so it's not were, something. So you were saying. So you were basically saying is that just because something is known, that makes it epic. Well, I mean, it makes I, I, iconic. Is when you think of a, uh, when you think of a director, you think of an actor, and you think of that scene. That's iconic. Also influential. My scene influences, you know, westerns. How many westerns do you see my scene in? Like I said, you don't need to know my movie to know my scene because it's that iconic. It's that it's that influential. Westerns do it because it's a good setup. And they can do it better. When Kurosawa did this scene, the scene has a good setup, but it goes nowhere. It lasts 15 seconds and it's gone. And you think it's going to be an impactful showdown. And the, the most of the time you spend it is with a guy dying in the floor asking for a gun because he feels naked without a gun. Yeah, it's the scene it's is a... already over. He, the, the showdown happened. It lasted 15 seconds. Then the guy keeps asking for the gun and he gets the gun. And then somebody starts hitting a drum. And the guy's dying saying, where's the drum? Where's the drum? I don't need a drum. That is last for like five minutes. And that's what that, that is the complete scene. You're saying like, yeah, those 15 seconds are And it, it all goes up there. That, I, I the can tell you, you, you didn't watch man. the movie. You watch the scene on YouTube because you have no idea who those I watched are the scene. and what that means. I watched the movie. Yeah. And I but, watched my movie. Yeah. Your, your, your scene, it, my, my scene, you have that. You Again, you talk about icon, iconic, you talk about iconography, imagery. My scene tells a story. You don't need to worry about that. You look at my scene, you see that you know who the bad guys are. You know who the bad guys are. By the way, be careful. Just talk like for three minutes. 
the whole scene includes everything that I am saying. If you want a better edition of your scene, he already improved on it. When he did the sequel with Sanjuro, he was more effective, more to the point. The showdown at the end of Sanjuro is actually a superior showdown to the one on Jojimbo. I, I, I scene, agree that the Sanjuro scene is also better than yours. But my scene is my scene is studied by film students because because of the competition, because of the, the the composition, how it's made, it's remembered for that. It's remembered for that iconic score for just that the wind blowing. Like I said, it's been done so much. You're seeing there again. It it comes and goes, and it's great. But nobody remembers that when people talk about Kurosawa, nobody's like, oh wow, you see that arrow scene, which is why people have remade it. They have used it for a lot of westerns. Fistful of Dollars, they did it, and it also. More cinematic and more impactful the version of Sergio Leone than the version that Akira Kurosawa did. And if you ask two people, where did where is the scene that is more iconic? The more iconic one is the one in the westerns. When you ask, for I also I also agree that the best is more iconic, is more iconic than the end of Throne of Blood. Based on Macbeth, on the betrayal in the last scene, it just sears in your mind. And the the acting that he portrays in that scene, the fear in his face, that is real fear. Just it's memorable. Is it acting? You're saying or is it just because fear? something is known that makes it iconic. People know the scene where Swatzilla stumps on Hank Azaria in 1998. That doesn't make it iconic at all. Just it's well known. Well known my, doesn't mean iconic. My scene is, is is well known because of how how well it's made, how well it's composed, how well how well it is is acted, how well it is scored. It is a perfect scene of just build up and tension. It's that's why it's used. That's why it's studied. That's why it's so influential. Your scene, like I said, no one talks about it. Unless, unless you're like a serious, hard Kurosawa uh, uh, fanboy, that is not something that people are going to talk about. Or that is because on. of the people that you relate to. You, this is a limiting thing. Everybody debates this thing. Like, we all talk about this thing. No one talks about that thing. Hey, I can find a group of people. You ask Paul Oyama which one is the more yeah, significant Yeah, who's one of those hardcore Kurosawa fans ever. Yeah. The blood because the people, depends on the people you relate to. It, the iconic, it's iconic independent of, of the people you are talking to about the scene with. But I'm if saying people are that talking about more it, it's probably not iconic. Of arrow scene than my if people scene. don't remember it, it's probably not iconic. Time. All right, Nazario, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. He picked the scene that has been improved a bunch of times. Kurosawa himself did it better in Sanjuro. The showdown at the end of Sanjuro is quick, to the point. You see the spur of blood. You see the, the dying of the character. It's momentum is impactful. In the showdown in Jojimbo, it's all set up. The setup is great. 15 seconds later, it's done. And you just end up with a guy crying on the floor, give me my gun, why the fuck are drumming sound? My scene is a complete package. You want to attack the guy that refuses to, to uh, surrender. And they say, it's over. We, we don't want to follow you anymore, Wachisu. And they flip on him and they start throwing arrows at him. And it's raw, it's impactful, it's memorable. And his death scene is just the, the bow on top of the present. He's just saying, like, well, mine is more iconic, more people recognizable. Things recognizable doesn't make them iconic. Godzilla 98 is recognizable. Um, uh, the fucking White House getting blown up in Independence Day recognizable. Does that make it a great movie? No, Time. it doesn't. All right, Kirk, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking.
I'd like to point out that Nazorio spent more of his closing argument talking about Sanjuro than he did talking about his own movie. And that's because Sanjuro, as well as my movie, my scene, is more iconic than his. And he didn't really have much to talk about with his. He talks about his being a complete package. Mine is a complete package. You have a you have the good guys, you have the bad guys. You can tell just by looking at it, you have that visceral, raw reaction to my scene just by watching it. His scene, you have guy getting shot there, you have no idea what's, what's going on outside of context. So I don't know what he means when he says complete package. Uh, I'm not saying my machete my uh mine is more impactful just because people talk about it. it's more impactful it's more uh, iconic because it is uh it's studied it is talked about uh it is imitated whether or not it's been done better or not is not part of the image it's part of the argument it's it's been redone because it's so iconic he talks about the white house in uh in independence day yeah that is an iconic scene i don't think nazario grasped what iconic means that's a very iconic scene, as is mine, as is Sanjuro, as is Good Ben and Ugly. His, not so much. Time. Okie dokie, artichoke, as they said. Get it? Because artichoke ends with an E and then you say. Okay. Uh, Cody, you strongly disagreed with me last time and went last. Where do you go on this one? <coughs> Again, I really want Kirk to host one. No, Kirk won. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how's that poker face? Okay, um, uh, yeah, Kirk uh, won this one. It's just it was seen. I wouldn't say that Nazario did not know like iconic was, but saying like it's been used in other scenes and stuff just helps Kirk's argument more and more about how iconic that scene is. That filmmakers copy it or duplicate it or even try to outdo it. Um, and I think your opening set the floor where Kirk was able to sh literally throw arrows at you by saying, oh, how cool the scene is. And I was like, I don't give a shit how it was made. Like, that's cool and all, but it didn't really help with Iconic or where it's at. But it's one of those things, like, I think Kirk just has so much knowledge on the subject. It's so hard to, like, counteract stuff. And Kirk did, like, little barbs throughout it. But, like, good acting or real fear, you can't have both. Um, yeah. Classic Kirk-like shots. So uh, it was nice to see Kirk is now in rare form. I can see how this debate's going. Uh, but, yeah, Kirk won the point for me. Brooklyn, you are next. Ugh, I disagree with Cody. I'd honestly give neither of you these points if I could, because I thought this was actually a, like a really badly debated question. Uh, I give it to Nazario um, purely because, like, I was frustrated uh, with Kirk's with Kirk's opening because, like, you had all these things set up, but literally all I heard was all I heard was buzzwords. I'm I, I'm, I'm sorry, um, and I have to go with Nazario. He gave me a more fleshed out description of his scene. And all I heard was iconic, memorable. I'm sorry. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Cody doesn't have a poker face. Um, this is gonna be really awkward, and Cody's gonna love me because I went with Kirk. Uh, no, I actually, I, I agree with, I agree with Cody. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it was. I, I, I agree. There were actually a lot of buzzwords thrown around, but I think this was the appropriate place. Um, I think that Kirk. Did his closing, especially where he said the White House blowing up in the in the in Independence Day is iconic. Um, and all of the stuff that he had to say about his scene being iconic, Nazario not maybe a hundred percent uh grasping uh the the iconic uh, statement, I think was true. Um, I think Nazario argued maybe uh emotional, impactful, acted maybe. 
Um, but I think Kirk nailed it on the head as far as iconic goes. So I went with Kirk, uh, which has him. I just yes. want to peek behind the camera for everybody knows. Every time Nazario loses a point um, backstage, Mike is celebrating. So I'm <laughs> just letting everybody know this is what's happening. No one else gets to see it, but we do. And he is literally fist bumping every time. <laughs> yes, my $150 is going places. Eat shit, Nazario. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we're going to move on to the fourth uh, question. Is that what we're on already? Holy shit, the fourth question? Yeah. Uh, I'm actually very excited about this question. This is in the category of horror. Uh, Non-horror icons, no horror icons allowed here. The question is what horror villain, creature, or entity would you not want to show up at your door? at your house, whatever you want to say. I love this. Uh, We're going to start with Nazario, who drafted this category. Nazario, you get one minute to open your argument when you start talking. The last thing a person wants to show up in your house is the entity from It Follows. As the movie established itself, there is no way to actually stop this entity. The only way you can do is delay it. So even if you manage to escape from it, it will eventually come back. That is canon. That is what it is. You have to live your life in fear for the, for the rest of eternity. Like, until you die, you will know that it will come for you. And why is this the worst thing that may show up in your house? Well, my friends, the only reason this thing follows you is because you slept with somebody who was infected to it. Thing shows up in your house. Your wife will have some questions. Your mate, your girlfriend, whoever it is, the fuck? How is this happening? And worst of all, if you want to delay it, you have to fuck someone else. You have to do it again to make time to run away. Keep explaining that to your partner. <laughs> Fucking crazy. <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> all right. Uh, Kirk, you get one minute now to open your argument when you start talking. The question is, which uh, horror creature do you know want to show up at your house? And I took that very personally as to what specific creature I would not want to show up at my house. Uh, so I chose Pennywise the Dancing Clown. And I chose Pennywise because if Pennywise shows up at my house, that means he's after my kids. Um, and Pennywise represents not only everything in the world that kids are afraid of, uh, but everything in the world that is a danger to kids that their parents can't protect them from. And there's no greater fear for, for, of a parent than not being able to protect your children. Um, and Pennywise, <clears throat> along with being, you know, incredibly dangerous and scary and frightening in his own right, um, is going to come after kids in horrible ways. He's not just going to try and kill them. He's going to use all their weaknesses, all their fears against them. Um, he's going to, even if they happen to survive, he is going to do so much psychological and mental, emotional damage to them uh, that they're probably never going to uh, get better. They're never going to get over it. They're never going to be the same. Uh, he's going to destroy their lives one way or the other. And there's really not much I can do about it. Um, and that's the horror. Uh, great picks. Nazario, nice hat. Uh, these movies very close to each other on my Blu-ray shelf. Only one film separating them. Interesting. wonder if that was on purpose or they both start with it. Uh, gentlemen, you have five-minute freeform when one of you starts talking. Okay, Nazario, you said yourself it showed up at your house because you cheated on your wife. So who cares? Screw you. 
you're you're a lousy person. You get what you deserve. Um, but I'm it the one thing I'll say is her, by the way, because I had sex with her. So if it will also so, kill me. So life. be a man and have sex with her again. And now guess what? You have a hall pass. You get to go have free sex with somebody else. As far as fighting horror monster goes, that's not too bad. Um, my guy, my monster is again. It's not going to be as consistent as yours, but it is coming back. It's oh, he's he is going to come back every twenty-seven years. He is going to affect you in different generations of your family. Um, attack you, uh, your guy. Uh, yeah, he's 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 always coming, but he is so slow. Like you get in the car and you drive, and you find somebody promiscuous who's going to get you a few degrees of separation. You're a pretty good chance of you know not having to worry about for a while. And when you do, you just walk away again. And this is the thing, though. You're throwing the dice. You're saying, like, yeah, this, this woman looks like promiscuous. I'm going to have sex with her. It's going to give me a good four or five years. You do not know. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know who's going to get you. Pennywise, 27 years on the dot. That's when it's coming back. And you know what? You have an easy solution for that because your creature is very, very centric. You just moved out of town. You don't have to go back to Derry at all, and it's over. You cannot move anywhere in the world with the spirit from it. Well, I, I'll disagree with that because he's showing up at my door. So I think the rules have been broken. He's showing up at my house. So ah, convenient. He, he, he started the, the rules from the film. But the, I think the, the rules from the question, if he's at my door, he's out of Derry. So the rules from the movie have been broken. He's, he's, he's changed his MO. I can't tell you why or how, but he has. He's here. Um, your guy, again, if you go and the person's not promiscuous enough, guess what? You get another free hall pass. You get to have more sex. Like I said, I mean, any creature you pick, if any, you any, see it coming, you do not know. You're probably going to see it coming. The shape of anybody, anywhere. Yeah. It can look like your wife, and then you, when you're dying, yeah, but if you your wife is quiet, is walking at you at a snail's pace, maybe something's up. Um, but like I said, any any horror movie, we could have picked any creature, any monster, any entity from any movie. It's going to be scary. It's going to be dangerous. And it's yes. going to come with its own set of problems. You pick the only one that you fight by having lots and lots of sex. In the grand scheme of things, not that bad a deal. In the scheme of the question that you do not want something showing in your house when you have your wife and family, what is worse than a fucking demon that haunts you because you cheat on your wife? Okay, also, yeah. you're saying you want to worry about me. Let me speak. You want to worry about your kids. You're worried they're going to be traumatized. You're going to be facing the dancing club. Guess what? No problem there either, my boy. Because Pennywise is defeated by children. They defeated him by growing up and saying, we're not scared of you anymore. Yeah, he, he, he was defeated by... into a little ball and disappears. That's it. They yeah. beat him with childish weapons and by saying, I don't, you're not afraid, I'm not afraid of you anymore. That's how they beat them. Five, beat five them. children... Five children beat him out of the generations, the hundreds, maybe thousands, who he killed and destroyed previously. So odds are not in their favor of beating Pennywise because most kids don't. And again, even the ones who did beat them have trauma and have mental problems and issues that follow the rest of your lives. You, as far as you said, they moved uh, away. They grew up being fine. They decided to go back to Derry. Oh, shit. Right. We went back to the one place on earth where the clown can get us. We're fucking geniuses. What now, I'm saying is, mine now does he, not have again, you that option because you question? cannot he stop He's coming it to my house. All. He's coming to my house. Yours also. I will say this: if he he's coming after you and he's coming to your house, he's only coming for you. Your wife is safe. Your children are safe. No. If he if he kills you, he's coming for my wife too because I had sex with her. Yeah, but again, like I said, man up, have sex with her, fall on that grenade, 
and she and you she's safe you can protect your wife just by again having sex not that bad a deal and then if it kills you your family is safe my my family my children my legacy is in danger because like i said they are going to be destroyed by this thing that will like mess with them mentally and use all their fears and all their weaknesses and just prey on that or they're going to be killed again canonically kids beat pennywise Yeah, face up to him. Four, Let four kids beat him. Hey, face after, your after he so murdered what? hundreds, maybe thousands. Unspeak all the for a hundred years he was murdering kids. Uh, this one They small group beat him. They never amount of deaths by Pennywise in the movie. It's They a say lot. he has been coming back every 27 years. There's some been disappearances, yes, but that doesn't mean that it can be beaten. Mine cannot be beaten. And like I'm saying, let's say you you bite on the bullet, you go to a whorehouse, you have sex. The guy doesn't show up for 20 years. When he comes back, you have to deal with all that shit again. Oh, right. Okay. 20 is, years. That's how long Pennywise has, has so. I guess 27 years in that. You, you can't hear me. I'm fucking muted. I'm laughing my ass off. Strike whatever Kirk said at the end from the record. It was overtime. Holy shit. Um, Kirk, you need to close first on this one. One minute when you start talking. Pennywise is coming after my kids. Um, he is going to prey on them. He is going to make them die, not just die, but die in horrible ways in horrible places in their head. Or he's, or if they escape, if they beat him, they're going to be traumatized forever. They don't just go to dairy because they're at my house now. According to the question, the rules have been broken. So that strike that from the record because it doesn't matter. They're here. What, why he's not in dairy anymore? I don't know. He's here. Um, he's going to come back. The, again, there's a small chance that they can defeat him. But they're going to have trauma they have to deal with the rest of their lives um, because of how hard he praise them. Nazario, pick the monster that you can defeat by making sweet, sweet love. And like I said, that is a uh, creature that, in the grand scheme of things, if I had to fight a monster, that's the monster I want to fight. Because guess what? I get to have lots of sex, and that's a pretty good thing. And if I if he takes me out, he takes me out having sex. And again, like I said, if he's coming after me personally, my family's safe, my wife's safe, my kids are safe, I get away or it kills me and it leaves them alone. Time. Holy shit. I'm so glad Maggie's in bed right now. Oh my god. All right. Uh, Nazario, we're going to move on to you. One minute to close your argument. You're definitely haven't been married for a while if you think you might, your wife is giving you a hole, but she's going to cut your balls off. That's what's going to happen. And you tell me, my wife is safe. You keep saying, you do not understand the, that this thing goes on by sex. You have sex with your wife. Your wife is going to be followed too, which means she also now has to go out and have sex with whoever, however, to try to delay the thing. You're saying like, you can be prepared because it's really slow. You don't know. This is the fucking issue. You do not know. The thing can come back so fast that in the end of the movie, there's a person walking behind the, the heroine of the movie. You don't even know if that's a demon. When you realize it's, it might be too late, yours, it's a clown that already has limitations of area. Move away. You're saying the, the question broke the rules. Hell, I'm basing this on the rules from the movie. Also, based on the movie, kids already defeated him. Traumatize him a little bit. You do not think that getting your wife and, and that your parents fighting because your dad cheated and now is coming to kill them and leave you orphan is traumatizing. My friend, what's up? Kids defeated Pennywise. Easily, I say. 
Oh my god. <laughs> I was I was super excited for this and it and it and it lived up it lived up to the hype. Okay. Um me, right? Ye, no, I went first last time. No. Uh, no, I go first on this one. Okay. I go first this time. Um so on paper, Nazario would have won this for me because when, when me and Cody were writing the question, this was one that actually popped up. Um, the It Follows entity. And when Nazario answered it, I was like, ooh, good choice. Fantastic. But I think beyond the stuff that made me laugh, Kirk did a very good job of combating why he he took the question in a way I wasn't expecting by saying this is my door I have kids I'm a father I don't want Pennywise coming and messing with my kids I went with Kirk and I thought he was able to come combat it the whole way um I thought Nazario did a really really good job but I also think the Nazario spent a decent amount of time on the dairy thing even after Kirk kind of shut that down the first time. So, again, Nazario, I swear to God I love you, buddy. I'm not just voting against you all night to, because I don't like you. I really do love well, you, got 50 bucks, so I'll try but, Oh, that's true. Uh, but I thought I thought Kirk did a great job in this one. I was I was super surprised. Uh, and the, when he said sweet, sweet love. Oh, my God. I may need to clip that out. Uh, Cody, <laughs> you get to go next. I've been around debate a long time. Almost three years in this community. I've been, I've been a movie fan's fight from the start um two things i think that was arguably the best debated question ever that i've ever seen from kirk himself um not only did he take the question and basically create a brick wall around himself that he was able to take a character that has specific rules in their movie and say fuck you i read the question they don't matter because they're at my house. Two, the ultimate one that I thought as soon as I saw it follows, well, that sucks. You're screwed. And basically take it and be like, you cheated your wife. Take the bullet. Get the fuck out of Dodge. No one else is dead. I will take the bullet for that one. Plus, you're dead, next. Craziest thing. Kirk, by far the best I've ever. I, I've seen a lot. That was great. That was well, well done. Uh, Brooklyn, your vote does not count. Where would you have gone? I also would have went with Kirk. I think he did a fantabulous job uh, with this question. He actually made he got made his answer the better answer, and also made Nazario's scarier with like having sex with many with any people. Because I don't know about you guys, when he mentioned that, I was like, oh, STIs or like you know disease. Um, that kind of made it scarier for me. But uh, no, good job, Kirk. Yeah. All right, Kirk does win that point. We are going to move on to the final prep question of the match. Nazario does need to hit this in order to stay in the game. Uh, if he does, we will move on to the speed round. If he does not, Kirk will be the winner. So, the question is a uh, fandom category drafted by Mr. Kolkowski. Star Trek. And the question is, pick any non-Star Trek fandom character 
to replace Captain Kirk on the Enterprise, and why would they be a good captain? So, Kirk, we are going to start with you as you drafted this. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, for a character who uh, is going to replace Captain Kirk on the Enterprise, I went with a character who's been established as a fantastic leader, uh, as a someone who is both a great diplomat and a great warrior. I picked uh, Black Panther. Uh, I think he is a uh, a leader of a uh, of, of a country, a world leader uh, who can uh, both he evolves in his ideas. Uh, he is open minded. Uh, he is uh, willing to explore and build bridges and uh, reach out to other cultures. Uh, and he is th those. These are all traits that you want in your captain who's going out in the universe. Uh, you know, meeting new civilizations and new life and um, being the first person uh, presented. Uh, he is a, uh, a charismatic person who knows how to lead. Uh, he is uh, somebody who's comfortable around uh, very advanced technology. Uh, and he is somebody who would be a uh, fantastic replacement for Captain Kirk, be even better, I think, than Captain Kirk, because he is uh, better suited for that role of the captain of the flagship of the United Federation of Planets. Time. All right, we move on to Nazario, the final hat. Nazario, you have one minute when you start talking. Why do you have so many hats? I feel like uh, the perfect person suited for this job would be Harry Hart from the Kingsman. Harry Hart is already a person that leads men. He has spent his life taking kids with great potential and leading them into a right direction, turning them into Kingsmen, gentlemen who defend honor by always necessary of the crown. I think his focus on the mission, on the way that he prioritizes his his students, his people, and the mission beyond anything close to a life independent of it, and he doesn't have personal connection, personal attachment, so doesn't he cannot be uh, blackmailed or coerced into doing the wrong thing. He just has to focus on the people that he's leading at the moment. So, I think Kingsman managed to make a man. Okay. okay, ending about 15 seconds early, a new record uh, for Nazario. Gentlemen, excellent picks. Five-minute freeform when one of you starts talking. I would say as a spy, Harry doesn't have the skill set uh, in general. Uh, Scott, spies are kind of xenophobic. Uh, they have a black and white us versus them mentality. Uh, their goal is to locate specific threats and eliminate them. Uh, there's not a lot of curiosity there about it, uh, and I don't think those that those are the kind of traits of somebody you want uh, not only captaining your uh, your your starship but your flagship planet. You know, he is used to working behind the shadows, behind the scenes. You know, whatever he does on the Enterprise is going to be public. He can't sneak around and do subterfuge and not You're have talking about xenophobic to... about a, a guy who is the king of a country that has all the technology, all the advancement, and they refuse to share it with the world. They right, have been too. locked down and haven't shared anything with anybody for decades, thousands of years, because that is the way they do. And until the end of that movie, where he learns from his okay. enemy that speaking, he, speaking he takes of, a lesson movies, and he learns, now I'm going to build bridges. So you can't blame movies, him for the decades before. He was only king for a very short time before he made that decision. Speaking of the movies, you're basing it on the, on the T'Challa as presented in the movies. Yes, so as somebody who evolves and grows in their ideas. He cannot lead. He's a hothead. As you go into Captain America and in Winter Soldier, no, I'm sorry, Captain America Civil War, 
he's just a person blinded by revenge to mm -hmm. the point that he doesn't care to understand what's coming left. That is not a good leader. He doesn't take the time to listen to Black Widow, to reason to why they are trying to help Captain Rogers, to understand why the situation is, because it is a very complicated situation, but we're talking about Starship, Enterprise, exploration of space. This is complicated things. I am so what does he do? He goes up and nonstop, and it's his fault why Black Widow gets exiled and what she gets to be uh, excommunicated from the country because he rats her out because he doesn't want to even understand what her excuses are. That's I'm, blind. I'm, That's just... I'm so glad you brought these both points up because this exactly goes to my point about T'Challa is yes, at first he was blinded by rage, but he learned to forgive his enemies and overlook those things and go beyond them. In Black Panther, yes, at first they were very close-minded and xenophobic, but he learns from his enemy, even though his enemy did the wrong way, he knew he learned from his enemy that yes, we need to take these things and expand. We need to go out into the world. And at the end of Black Panther, he's ready to build bridges into the world. Why not go out into the complete universe and 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 do it there? Now, let's say something about Harry. You say Harry can't be blackmailed. You know what he can be? Mind controlled. Most famous scene that Harry is in, he has his mind taken over by a uh, by the enemy, and he kills a bunch of innocent civilians. And then he's brought back to life, and he's studying butterflies, and he's, he's in his own world. Harry's liability. I don't even know if I want Harry as my spy, let alone my starship captain. This is just because of a single point that is on my movie, and I accept it. He gets mind control. Just because well, not, there's not a scene... In Black Panther, with his mind control, doesn't mean that he has you're, the mental you're, capability. You're right. we, not we don't know. You know wait, I'm talking now. You spoke. This is why in your movie, you can always prove also that the child is not fake to lead. He doesn't hear to people. He doesn't hear to his uh, cons uh, consejeros. He doesn't leave to his best friend. Because when Wakabi has an idea that goes against him, he doesn't listen to him. That's not what a good leader does. And what does it happen? Then he gets betrayed by it. He has to face the reason he has to face Killmonger in the first place, and by the way, gets defeated by, is because he refused to listen to the advice that they were going to give him. He has been so stubborn during the whole process of the movie that he doesn't even make peace with the Jabari tribe until it's utterly and completely necessary for them to want to make peace with him because he lost and he lost his crown. So you're saying just because of all this thing, he has proven in the big majority, over 90% of the films, that he's not fit to be a leader. Just because in the last five minutes, just like, you know what? That was all good. You're right. Now that that's the one you want to tell. The story is of him learning and growing. That's what you need as a starship captain is to be somebody who is willing to change, willing to show that lack of ego, willing to learn new things. I will say this going back to Harry. We don't know if uh, we don't know if Black Panther could be mind controlled. We do know that Harry can be. That's what we, we that's all we have on tape. That's all we know. One minute. I do want to bring something up about specifically about starship captains. What is the most important test of a, uh, a, a of a Starfleet officer? The Kobayashi Maru, the no-win scenario. Black Panther has faced this scenario in Infinity War. Infinity War, when uh, Thanos' people are attacking and those creatures are surrounding the entire force field and they're going to get in and they're going to take everything out, they're going to get vision, he realizes, I have to open the gate and let them in. And I have to risk, they, say, they even say, you know, Wakanda, this is, the, this is the end of Wakanda. But he gets his people fight out. He faces that no-win situation. He gets his people. He leads his people. He encourages people around it. And he succeeds. He overcomes it. He faces his Kobayashi Maru, which is the most important thing for a Starfleet officer. He had no choice. Thanos was going to come either way. He just was That's the point of that. you have no choice in no one's All right. Nazario, you get to start on this one. You have one minute of... You are closing when you start talking. 
Harry Hart is a man that has dedicated his life to training salt, to training spies, to training kids with his potential and lead them in the right direction. He already hates a leader. He has been uh, leading the Kingsmen into the next generation. And even when he died and he came back, yes, he was lost in there. But when he came back, he found his center and he knew what was right to do. The biggest evidence of T'Challa, it's most of a negative. He just keeps making mistake, mistake, mistake. And you say like, yeah, he learned from it. He make, becomes a better person. He was supposed to become a better person at the end of Civil War. And then falling into all the same things and during the whole Black Panther movie. He doesn't want to make peace with the Jabari. He doesn't listen to advice. He gets beaten down. And just because uh, he gets back up in the last five minutes doesn't mean that he makes him a good leader. And you're saying like the no-win scenario in Avengers Infinity War, everybody was facing the no-win scenario. Not just T'Challa. Everybody shined there. Why not pick anybody else but him who has already been defeated and proven that he cannot lead? His Time. sister is better. 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 Strike it from the record. Uh, bring in Kirk. Kirk, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Everybody was facing no one scenario. Black Panther is the one who had made the had to make the choice, and yeah, there there he had no choice there, like you said. But that's the point of a no win scenario. Uh, you said Harry trains soldiers, he trains spies. That is not who you want on a on your flagship. The, the Enterprise is not a battleship; it is a ship of exploration. It is a ship of uh, ambassadorship and learn and learning new things and exploring. That is what Black Panther is. Yes, he took time to become a great leader. Over the course of one movie, he undid generations of xenophobia in wakanda he overcame generations of that problem in one movie he learned to come again look how long it took captain kirk captain kirk took three or four movies to overcome his racism towards klingons never even really got over it just enough to get by uh black panther is learning these movies in one lesson Black Panther is a character that grows, that develops. Harry doesn't grow. He doesn't change. He's set in that same mold. He's a spy. He's always going to be a spy and have that mindset. That is not the character you want flagshipping your enterprise. It is to time. All right. I have opinions, uh, but I don't get to start. Brooklyn does. All right. Um, this was my favorite question that, that was debated at the match. So, uh, great, so great job. You guys did really good. Um, yeah, this, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Kirk. Uh, I went, went with Kirk, uh, for the reasons, uh, of, um, I think on the, I think on the end with the, with the Kobayashi, with the Kobayashi Maru, I think that was a, I think that was a super, super strong point. Um, and I think obviously like having this, having that star, having the Star Trek background helped with the overall, like what makes it, what makes it a great captain. Um, sorry, I did a really good job, but, uh, my point was Okay. Um, I have voted for Kirk all evening. And this question is the one where I changed my mind. I just went with Nazario. Um, I thought that Nazario's... I thought he was losing for most of the argument. And the thing that honestly changed my mind was the closing. And the thing that he said was uh, when he brought up the point about everybody in Infinity War had a, 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 a no-win scenario. And he fell into the same things over and over again in all of his move in, in Black Panther. Um, he didn't really learn anything. 
to me, that's very similar to Kirk, not Kolkowski, but Captain, uh, who is always falling into those types of things. Um, and all of his stuff about Harry, I thought, worked really well. So I, I go with Nazario on this one. Cody, you get to decide. Are we done, or are we moving on to the speed round? Um, so on the record, Star Trek's trash. Um, well, like just to be out there, I'll just get ahead of it. It's trash. Um, uh, new newer movies are better, but overall trash. Oh, there's some. Um, uh, I feel like um, this debate was the right two choices. Honestly, I think both pick really great choices. Um, but overall, it came down to a certain points, and I think the last part is just. I think somebody set people up to just hit home runs the entire time. Kirk, you want to go to sudden death or you want to win right now? I'd like to win right now if possible. Then Kirk wins my point. Um, overall, I think Kirk won it. Um, I think with especially telling um, uh, Nazario's kept saying the points of like, oh, he locked up, they locked up Wakanda, they locked up this, they did this and this. And Kirk just kept diminishing points that, yes, that's how he started, but how he overcame and what he was able to bring towards it and open up places um, and be the leader that basically uh, the enterprise would need at that point. So I thought it was really close. If it was up to me, technically we'd be going because I voted for Nazari on the first two questions for sure. Uh, but this was a fantastic debate. I just think Kirk closed it perfectly. All right. Well, with that, your winner and still fan zone debate champion is Kirk. Kolakowski. Uh, we are going to start by talking to Nazario. We'll bring in his manager and my yeah. Yeah. For, for reasons. Uh, uh, Nazario, you did a really, really great job tonight. I know I didn't vote for you a lot. I apologize. You're That's, how the game, That's how the game goes sometimes. But I think you did a really, really great job. You ran your way through getting to this point. Uh, beating some players who are very, very, very good at this game, getting some wins on your record, and came to play in the title match. How are you feeling about uh, of the match? Let me bring up something real quick. Our strategy. John Cassavetti's film. I told him to watch a Nick Cassavetti's film. For the horror question, I told him to cheat on his wife. <laughs> These are the responses. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I guess this is how far bullshit gets you. I mean, I did my best. Uh, I the only one that hurts though is the horror one because uh, I know you I all. Swear. His wife for Look what fucking happened. We all went like the, you all. That's the only one you all went in the other way. Uh, in my mind's eye, I got that one. Losing the other ones, I mean, fucking Kurosawa. Junk as many. You know how much shit I had to watch? Those fucking movies were like two and a half hours each. You like didn't the, watch shit. One. And boring. You watch nothing YouTube clips. Happened. Look what happened. If we're being honest. Shit. She's mediocre in both films. Something fucking had to be argued, so we fucking think, did it. I think Kirk just died a little bit backstage. Dude. Dude. She was pulling a Sean Penn and I am Sam in that movie. And boring as fucking Gloria. I don't know how the man loves these movies that much. Kurosawa, though, that, that was fun. I did watch the movies. Those were fun movies. Been done better, though, in the Westerns. Anyway, next year's 
more bullshit coming your way. I'm, I'm always willing to give it a fight. So, eh, let's see what happens. Cody, you look like just, you have something you want to ask. Yeah, just before Nazar goes, I understand we have we're we're under this facade. We're under this like, oh, this is a bullshit banner. I will say, I've watched you from the the start. This was probably the most prepped you came in, and yeah. it definitely showed. So I'm thinking you can bullshit with the best of them, but I think your prep game shows that you like. People can't take you as like, oh, he's just going to joke his way. Like you can't, in my opinion, that first question, you came ready to play. Regardless of how the votes came, I felt like you were fully prepared for that question. So five hours. I did watch it. Yeah. Two, two and a half hour movies. Um, The question is, has Nazario ever debated Caleb Coho? Yes. Yes. You have? Wait, I don't remember where. Was it here? I don't know if it was here, though. Uh, well, those are very good bullshitters, so we maybe have to set that up. Nazario, thank you for being here. You did great this season. Um, we'll see you next year in whatever we have you come back. We'll definitely have you back. You deserve it. You did great. Uh, let's move over to uh, the man who didn't bring a manager with him tonight. Uh, that's Kirk, uh, who is still the champion, retains the belt moving into next season. Kirk, this basically guarantees that you do not have to play again for eight months. How do you feel about that? Um, I mean, it feels good to get a break, but eight months is a long time. And I don't. Uh, want to it might not so actually. I'll just, that. I'll just fight whoever. I'll just, I'll just find people in the street to yell, uh, yell about movies. Um, apparently, I'm going to find Nazario a book on Gina Rollins. Um, those, interna- <laughs> those international shipping rates are going to kill me, but I got to do it. That that fight killed me because uh, I'm the exact opposite. Gina Rollins in uh, Woman Under the Influence is my favorite performance uh, from, you know, from an actress ever. So to have to say all those horrible things wow. I said about my queen, Gina Rollins, uh, was like just, uh, it killed me. I would um, not have known that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, Kirk, you did a great job tonight. You got it done without heading to the speed round. Um, I can't say that many if any title match has ever really gone that far, uh, I could be wrong about that, but we'll, I can look later, but you did great. Um, we're going to move into next season. We don't really know what next season looks like yet, but um, we'll have you play sometime in the next four to six months. Who are you looking at? Is there anybody that you want to play? What are you thinking about? Well, first let me say this did a great job. Um, whenever I, whenever these questions come up, I mean, obviously first thing I think about is what are they going to say and what are they going to rebut against me? And I'm usually pretty good at, at figuring that out. Uh, Nazario hit me with some, you know, some stuff out of left field. So, I mean, that was scary. Even the ones like I felt really confident in, uh, he was hitting me with stuff that like, oh man, this is, this is pretty good. So, um, you know, I, hats off to him and I'd love to play him again. Um, a lot of people I've played so far, um, I wouldn't mind rematches. Somebody new um, would be cool too. So I mean, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of good fighters in this in this uh, league. So uh, I'll take whoever whoever rises to the top. Well, I do know without naming any names, there are some new people who have asked to play that are going to be coming into the fold. So we will uh, see who is going to come up. If it's a rookie, if it's someone else new. Uh, or someone else that's been around, we will find out. So it'll be very exciting. But Kirk, congratulations on being, I think, only the second person to defend this belt. Great job. We will see you very soon uh, with the next match. Brooklyn, 
We'll start with you. Any final thoughts on the match tonight? Uh, again, it's, it was 4-1, but every, everything but the horror question was uh, was a split. And even, I think, if there's a different uh, panel of judges, I don't think even it's, you know, I don't even think that horror question is still 3-0. I think that Azario still had a really good, really good, uh, really good, uh, why can't I think of the word? He had a really good pitch. Yeah, he did a really good, he did a really good job on that one. I can't think right now for some reason but uh but yeah no it was it was a fun time thank you for having me tim thank you for having Absolutely. me Cody. always love to have you brooklyn cody we will go to you next final thoughts on the match yeah so um i i love debate uh i think it's the it's the stuff that i can recall the best when i play in trivia uh it's just it's just who's who can present the best argument and i think i think kirk's one of the best that's ever done it um i think just uh just the way he's able to attack stuff and how he formulates plans again i've seen a lot i think that question on the horror one was one of the best uses of everything that needed to come out and to basically have a counter ready to literally just slap it back was brilliant to see i'm excited for next season now that i'm done with like playing and managing um this match kind of like revitalized like me wanting to like help more with this and do like funner th- like funner matches and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so interesting. And I'll just say it here. Um, next season, I'm joining the fan zone roster. So I would, uh, I will, uh, Kirk, you may have, uh, you may have somebody uh, coming for that belt. So uh, I'm excited to get back in the debate ring. So uh, Kirk, uh, I'll, I might see you uh, later down the line. Holy shit. Well, you guys heard it here first at the end of this match. Uh, Cody Newberry joining the fan zone roster. Um, holy shit. Kirk retains the title. Really exciting stuff for fan zone. Uh, genuinely from the bottom of my heart. Thank you to Kirk and Nazario, Cody and Brooklyn. Uh, this is one of my favorite things to do is debate. I love playing it. I love watching it. I love hosting it. Everything. Thank you guys for continuing to support it. Means a lot to me. We will see you guys next season, but be on the lookout later today. We got more videos of the final act. Warzone singles is on the line. Fandom singles is on the line. Fandom teams, Warzone teams, all of it. It's all going down today. So thank you for watching. We'll see you guys really soon with what's next. Until then, let's roll the clip one more time. That's my bad, I was sending a tweet.